This Quietcast podcast is brought to you by Ideas Digest. In a world dominated by fake news and cancel culture. Oh, sounding a little bit, you know, right-wing conservative, fake news, cancel culture. So let's reframe. Fair. In a world dominated by intolerance, bigotry, and ignorance, Mm. can we... I think that might be going too far left-wing progressive. Just keep going. All right. The Ideas Digest podcast is all about exploring different viewpoints and challenging your own beliefs. In each episode, we flip a coin to determine which side of a controversial societal issue we will debate. We then compete to persuade someone to change their mind. Insert montage here. If it lands on heads. You shouldn't be a fan of Jordan Peterson. Trump is not guilty. Coin flip. Tails. And I'm pro-porn, baby. Let me take someone who wants to have kids and tell them why this is a bad idea. And then here comes along Andrew Tate. Escape your echo chamber each week at Ideas Digest, everywhere you get your podcasts. Hey folks, welcome to Wilder Olive, a more casual conversation about literature, culture, and the Bible, current events editions. I'm Jennifer Bird. And I'm Jean Patrol. Jennifer. <laughs> hey, Jean. This is different, right? It's so totally... can I tell our listeners how uh, Wilder Olive came about? Yes, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. So our producer, Matt Byrne, said, hey, a lot of podcasts have something like a relaxed fit edition where the hosts loosen up and just have a more casual conversation. And we thought that sounds like a really great idea. We also thought, It would give us a chance to comment more quickly on current events or culture of the moment. So we wanted to do that. So so we're doing it. This is our this is our relaxed fit. (laughs) (laughs) Relaxed fit, wild olive. Wilder. Yeah. Wilder. And Jennifer picked the topic, and the topic is Barbie. Yeah. I mean, I know Barbie came out, the movie came out in the summer or the end of the summer, but I still hear people talking about it. Uh, Greta Gerwig had, she was interviewed and then I can't remember if it was 60 Minutes or if it was one of the, you know, the channel news outlets, you know, during the week recently. I heard them focusing on the movie and doing a piece on her. And I thought that's an interesting thing to be going on in the news hour, you know. So people are still talking about it. So it's not just, you know, three months old at this point. It's still current in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. People are still talking about it. Yeah. My students are talking about it. Are they? My son is talking about it. It really, Uh, it's really had a big impact on culture. It's really affecting a lot of people's thinking. And there is so much to talk about. There is. And, and. She did get, I don't know how many, a nod or two on the Academy Awards, right? I mean, the some aspects of her movie did. I should probably have looked that up before we started, but I didn't. That's okay, because it's casual conversation, <laughs> right, Jennifer. exactly. You exactly. don't even have to be well-informed. <laughs> <laughs> but I will bring my gender and women's studies 
to bear on this conversation. I am yeah, not. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. So I am intrigued. I know that you wrote a piece and posted it on our yeah the blog, yep. our Wild Olive blog on the Patheos website, but I haven't read it yet. And I decided not to yeah. so that I wouldn't have any of what you were thinking influencing my thoughts going into this conversation today. Yeah. So I'm eager to hear which parts about this movie and its ideas and its impact did you want to talk about? Well, of course, my mind immediately goes to the biblical references. And in the Pathios article, one of the biblical, I wouldn't say a reference, I don't think that this is a reference, but this is an echo of a biblical story, and it's the story of Ruth. So coincidentally, the name of the maker, the inventor of Barbie, is Ruth Handler. And there are just some interesting resonances made between the movie and the book of Ruth. And we can talk about that in a little while. But the other two biblical resonances that interest me, I mean, the one that's been talked about in the press is the fact that as a movie, Barbie is an origin story. I mean, the opening, I, I don't know if I want to say parodies or pays homage to 2001 A Space Odyssey, the Thus Spake Zarathustra, right? The, the right. music for yes. that accompanies when we sure. see Barbie for the first time. And it's told like an origin myth. In the beginning, there were little girls and they always played with dolls and all the dolls were <laughs> baby dolls. And then Babies. Barbie, right? So Right. And, they, and I love that scene. And it's even a little disturbing, right? Where the little girls are just smashing yeah, their babies. They smash the dolls. And it, it evokes that scene in 2001 where they're banging the bones. And it's also very... Um, just realistic in a way because girls play with little dolls in all kinds of ways, including beating them or just abusing I, them. That happens to Barbies right. and happens exactly. to dolls. It, it's not always sweet, right? That sugar and spice and right. everything nice. That's not really what girls are. Or necessarily what, how they play. I, I'm curious, actually, did you play with baby dolls when you I were did. a child? I did play with dolls. And I did play with Barbies, and I have to confess to you. So remember the character Mean Barbie in the Barbie movie? So mm -hmm. Mean Barbie gets to be Mean Barbie because girls play with her too hard. Right. So I played with my Barbies too hard. So I was making Mean Barbies. So my <laughs> Barbies got put in trees. My Barbies got oh. tied up. My bar I mean, I, I actually, if I were psychoanalyzing my behavior with Barbies, <laughs> I'd be really, really concerned, concerned. about myself. But I'm, I'm not awesome. a sadist and I'm not a masochist. So uh, in that case, the play did not predict anything about my behavior outside mm -hmm. play. But mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I played with Barbies way too hard. Did you play with Barbies? I, I want to say I did not play with baby dolls. In fact, I would have friends who wanted to play with baby dolls and or and Barbies. And I would just be like, I don't know what there is to play with here. There's nothing there's nothing interesting here. I don't I don't know how to play with baby dolls. <laughs> I can change I could change a kid's diaper at the age of eight. Like I'm that's not it. Like I got the real stuff going yeah. on. 
what what am I supposed to do with a baby doll? And I had a Barbie so that I could braid her hair. Ah. And that is it. Yes. And I, yes, and I had a friend who would like create, take socks and turn them into sheath dresses for her Barbies and like do all kinds of stuff. I'm like, that's interesting, but I have no desire to do that. And then I'd go over to this other friend's house and she had kin and all the little fun little stuff. And I was like, I don't get this. Why would I want to play house with Barbie? Like it just did. <laughs> that does not compute. I would, I would say that is a good predictor of me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so I am certainly getting riled up about this because I do think it's interesting. And I so was tracking with this whole, like, why are we training kiddos, little girls to tend to be, you know. Yeah. Well, I loved my baby so, dolls yes. also. I had a doll Good. called Leanne. Okay. okay. And I took care of her and I fed yeah. her and. I didn't have any. Let her nap. and. Yeah. I didn't want them. Changed her and all that, and I really loved Leanne. <laughs> Good. She yeah. wasn't. She wasn't mistreated. She was not mistreated. No, I never mistreated my baby dolls. Only my Barbies, whatever Good. that means. Okay. But uh, I'll just okay. leave it alone. <laughs> yes, we can. We can move on from that. I just wanted to put that out into the world that not all, not all young women, not all little girls wanted to play with Barbie dolls or baby dolls. Yeah. And and it really was just the hair. That's what's interesting. I liked her hair, and, and I'd put it in a whole bunch of braids. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I So one of the things, so I rewatched the movie this yes. morning. Yes, And one of the things that struck me again about the opening to the movie, there's there's a lot of parody in the movie and a lot of play with and work with all kinds of ideas about Barbie and the cultural history of Barbie. Mm -hmm. I think one aspect of the cultural history of Barbie is that at least some feminists and certainly some toy manufacturers imagined that by having a doll that wasn't a baby doll, a grown woman doll that you could play with who could be a firefighter or an astrophysicist or whatever, mm-hmm. that that was a bold feminist move Empowering. to help little girls imagine themselves with homes and cars and careers mm-hmm. and uniforms, mm-hmm. right? And part of me gets that. Also, the movie points out that the creation of Barbie dolls did not usher in a feminist utopia. Right. Right. What I found so interesting about this, and it's almost like I am not entirely sure what Gerwig's point is. That's that's one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you about this, because it's as if she is saying empowering Barbie means the disempowerment of Ken or the disempowerment, the objectification of males. Which is an interesting claim to make about the, the dolls and the world of the doll, right? The world of Barbie as created, right? Because Ken is not given center stage. And that I, I would agree with that. But I'm not sure if I, I don't know. I feel very uncomfortable about the movie. That I'll just, I don't know what I, so we can chat, talk this out or in sure, whatever ways sure. you want to. Because I'm still just not sure what her point was. <laughs> Well, that's interesting. So yeah. I, 
in in Barbie Land, right? Yeah. Just for yeah. listeners to recap the narrative, and also there could be some people listening who haven't seen the movie. Exactly. So just to recap the narrative, so it opens and we're in Barbie Land, and it's a right. Barbie world, and the Barbies relate to other Barbies, and the Ken dolls are clearly secondary adjacent figures to the Barbies. The Barbies yes. run the world. Barbies and, on the Supreme Court. Go ahead. Well, and it, it's this, it's a uh, saccharine kind of sweetness. Everything is perfect. And yes. yeah, la, 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 la. You know, everything yes. is lovely and everybody's happy all the time, et cetera. So go ahead. Yes. So back until, to your summarizing. Mm-hmm. Until Barbie starts having thoughts about Death. Right. <laughs> so into this paradise, and there's another biblical echo, right? There, paradise is lost. What's mm-hmm. forbidden in Barbie land is thoughts of death, awareness of mortality. So Barbie and her friends are having a Bollywood-type dance fest, and suddenly Barbie blurts out, Have you ever thought about death? And everything stops. So at the mention of death, the idea of mortality, all the idiot glee stops dead. And the second thing that happens is that Barbie's feet go flat. In the movie, I mean, you know how actual Barbie's feet are like (laughs) made for high heels? Yeah. And then in the movie, the, the character really has feet shaped like that. And then they go flat. And And she has no idea what to do with that. She has no idea what to do with that. And Mm -hmm. it creates a gag reflex. The idea of having flat feet, right, creates a gag reflex in all the Barbies and the Kens. Right. But basically, then the Barbies counsel, all Barbies' friends counsel her to go to Weird Barbie to see what's going on. And Weird Barbie does this big exposition and essentially discovers that a rift has opened in the fabric between Barbie land and the real world. And the woman who is playing with the Barbie doll in the real world is having gloomy thoughts and that's transferring to Barbie. So Barbie has to go on a quest to the real world to find the woman who's playing with her and help her solve her problems so that Barbie land can go back to being Idiot Glee Land, Idiot Joy Show Land, to quote a post-punk British band called The Fall. Um, so, so Barbie goes to real world, uh, but having Barbie in the real world really also messes up the real world. And so uh, Mattel gangs up on Barbie and Ken to send them back to Barbie Land. And in the meantime, Barbie has found the people who are playing with her, and it's a mother and a daughter, and it's actually the mother playing with the doll. And then they team up to go to Barbie land, and then they have to save Barbie land because Ken, after Ken was walking around in the real world, which he describes as like a patriarchal utopia, it's like (laughs) men and horses rule the world, (laughs) and he loves it, right? Then he goes back to Barbie land and turns it into this patriarchal nightmare. So Barbie and the real mom and the real daughter have to save Barbie land from this Ken nightmare. And they do. So what I would argue isn't that 
So there, it's, it, it's like three acts, right? There's Barbie Land, Ghost mm-hmm. Sour, and then Barbie and Ken in the Real World, mm-hmm. and then uh, Saving Barbie Land from Patriarchal right. Hellscape, right? Right. Yes. And I think at the very end of the movie, so I don't, I don't get the feeling that the movie is suggesting that in order for Barbie to be powerful or women to be powerful, that men need to be sidelined, but I think the movie suggests that a predominance of either women or men is not ideal. And I think toward the end of the movie is when we start to see Barbie and Ken relating more as equals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Ken has less power, but Barbie has less power than she had when the movie opened. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't mm-hmm. really paying attention to Ken at all. I think what she says toward the end of the movie is, I'm sorry I took you for granted. I didn't Mm. appreciate you. I didn't listen Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. And so they both, Barbie and Ken, start to try to relate to each other in a new way. And I think that that's what the movie is up to, is trying to imagine, all right, what, what would it be like for women and men to relate to one another in a new way? What would it be like for women not to have to always try to be perfect or extraordinary? And what would it be like for men not to need so much attention from women? I mean, that seems like the movie's trying to imagine those things. Hmm. Okay. You know, I have to say, while I was watching it, part of me was thinking, you know, I'm not entirely sure what she's doing here. Is she trying to show what what it could feel like for men to be in women's shoes so that if men can identify with the Ken character, then they might start to see what it is like to be a woman in this world, to be sidelined, to be the one who is second, always secondary, not running anything, right? Because in Barbie land, Barbies run everything and they're all happy and doing the things. And men are entirely, you know, just uh, peripheral or secondary and, and don't know any better. None of them know any different, right? And so I was trying to see, maybe she's trying to create a way to, to, allow, <laughs> to allow that kind of empathy to happen a little bit. But, but it didn't quite work for me because... Because why? I mean, when Ken came to into the real world, it was really clear to him and it was very quick for him to pick up on, oh, this is a man's world. This is a man's world, you know, as you said, and it was playful, but it's also serious, right? Like, and then how quickly he was able to infect Barbie land by, with patriarchal norms was stunning, right? And, it, and it, it was unnerving to me because I thought, I don't know what to, I just didn't know what to do with it. Maybe we should take a break. And okay. give give our sponsors a chance to have a word here, and we'll come back to having maybe taking a different angle on what what Barbie the movie actually does do for us. What do you think? All righty. So, Jean, you said that you saw a couple different biblical resonances, and I'm intrigued by your by what you said about 
the movie Barbie having resonance with or maybe paralleling or something, the story of Ruth? Yeah, I wrote about that in the Pathios article, and I feel like I should just refer listeners to the Pathios article if they want to read about that. But there's another biblical reference that I think you will really resonate with, because I know this is a biblical character that you've talked about and possibly written about, I'm not sure. But there's this scene where Barbie walks into the executive suite of Mattel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she is really puzzled at the fact that there aren't any women CEOs. Or or just, yeah, at the table at all, right? Yes, yes. or at the table at all. And, And so she calls this out. And the Will Ferrell character, the CEO of Mattel, stands up and gets really blustery and says he resents her insinuating this because back in 1990, they did have a woman on the board. And uh, then there was another woman on the board at some other time. And how dare she make this insinuation? And he says, you, you, you. And he wants to come up with a name to call her. And what he says is, you, Jezebel. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to me, I mean, the Bible obviously is such a never-ending resource of cultural material, and that Jezebel character gets used, and the name gets used to evoke just a woman who's so incredibly out of line. Just, it, it, and it's such a problem, mm-hmm. right, so that this woman is not in line. Mm-hmm. So I thought that you would appreciate that reference. I did. And I I wasn't taking notes as I watched it. And I probably should have because I'd forgotten that he used that specific name. Yeah, Jezebel. Yes. Not just not just a woman out of line, but yeah, lots of layers of interpretation on given to her. Right. She's often sexualized in a negative way or. Yeah. You know, she's she's certainly the anti what anti-hero? <laughs> what do we call them? Yeah, um, like an anti-hero. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think that that character Jezebel has had such staying power as a way to name problematic women, women who won't stay in line? Because <laughs> I, I have a couple thoughts about it, and I imagine there's some probably some really interesting articles out there that do also address that. But my first thoughts are. She's a wife to a king, right? So he's the one with power, but she is clearly in the story manipulating him as the way is the story is told. And I would suggest that throughout history, that is how women have tried to get things done is if, if all they do, all they have, if the only access to power is through the man they're married to, right, then they're going to use that if they need to. And I think that has been spun in negative ways just in general, over the centuries, without actually seeing why that was necessary, right? This is the, mm. the setup. So this is what we have to work with. So we're going to do what we have. We're going to work with what we've got and do the best we can. So I think people in general demonize women who do that kind of a thing. But she was also a worshiper of Baal. And so biblically speaking, she was awful because she worshiped a different god. And I you know, I go to great lengths in my Intro to Biblical Studies courses, in particular Intro to the Hebrew Bible, to invite my, my students who do come from uh, Christian or even Jewish backgrounds 
to and I say Christian first because that's my context and I know that I know how that works in Christian context. I don't know as mm-hmm. well how it works in Jewish context. But people are typically taught to read with the grain of stories and and she is demonized more because of her, you know, standing for the worship of a of a different god. Well, standing for worship of the god of the people who've lived there for centuries, you know. So people are being taught to demonize other religious traditions through this story. And so she, as a female, as a manipulator, as a Baal worshiper, it's like, pile it all on, you know. And all of those are things that are still being demonized about people, whether they're male or female or or beyond either gender. So, you know, uh, and there's a great story about her. I mean, people like some some people like gore or like the drama of, you know, she's she falls out of a window and her body is eaten by dogs. So there's there are all these kinds of she got what she had coming. Mm. Yeah, there, you know, and 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 I think that really there's a different way to look at her whole story yeah. if we read it through her eyes and and we're at the very least empathetic. But I know that it is very difficult for people to have any kind of empathy for her because she's this wife of an evil king who, and so many times in Hebrew Bible stories, all you have to say is they worship a different God. And that is the setting and that is sufficient for, oh, well, they're terrible people. Oh, well, that justifies treating them badly. Oh, that justifies treating them as subhuman and not fully human. And, you know, it's okay then that we're going to trounce in and take over their land and kill as many of them as possible. And And that element to me is so, has longevity, right? That way of talking about humans, thinking about humans, really is whew, disturbing to me because of how well yeah. that has that lingers. Um, yeah. So women, right? An uppity woman, a woman with her own mind. Yeah, an other. Yeah. It, it's a, it's an othering term. Yeah. Yep. And you know, there are things like there's a journal called Jezebel, right? Mm-hmm. Where the women or the authors, the the people who run that journal, have just claimed it and. Yeah. Tried to, you know, they are still a little bit outlandish and and very, you know, kind of pushing things, but it is not a thing of shame, right? In that journal, in fact, it's about raising awareness about these gendered issues. That's really cool. Back to Barbie. the story of Ruth Mattel. and oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to the story of Ruth and also let's do that to the movie. So the book of Ruth is interesting to me because the the primary relationships are between women. Mm-hmm. The primary relationship is woman to woman. Mm-hmm. And that's very unusual for the Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. And the power of this relationship between these two women mobilizes a tremendous amount of creative power. The two of them, Naomi and Ruth, are able to to create a partnership that allows them to mobilize all kinds of things to happen around them to enable them to survive economically, to enable them to thrive socially, and to enable them to wield power, such power as they were able to wield in their particular cultural moment. And I do think that there's a resonance between Barbie and the Book of Ruth because the primary relationship, of course, the primary relationship between all Barbies, it's relationships between women, right? Mm-hmm. Barbie says mm-hmm. she hurts Ken by saying every night is girls' night. We right. have girls' night every night, right? <laughs> and so, but that's part of the feminist utopia that 
every day would be is it a day where in Barbie in the world of Barbie? Yes, I would say that it is. Okay, in Barbie utopia, not feminist utopia. In Barbie land. Okay, I'm yes. saying in the movie. Is, yes, but it's not a feminist utopia. Um, it, that's it interesting. Is, that's is, another conversation. Yeah, I, I mean. It's one version of a feminist utopia, but share your view that it's not a feminist utopia. Well, my understanding of feminism is about the empowerment of all people. And for me, that also you know, incorporates uh, awareness of uh, differences and injustices as well as racial in- injustices, systemic issues that play out for all people. And so for me, a feminist utopia would be a place of shared power w- that doesn't have any sort of gendered, you know, preference in terms of who's in charge and in power. Yeah. But it's about people, people's needs being met. Yeah. Communal, shared power. It's not about, this is just about women, because I find that to be equally problematic. Yeah, I think the movie does too. And we don't see the kind of feminist utopia that you're talking about in the Barbie movie. Right. You know, it might be hinted at after the movie ends. Maybe. But there's one version. Okay. Of like a feminist utopia, okay. I think in Barbie land, in the sense that women run, I agree that it's not a feminist utopia, but it is the world imagined by, you know, the, the creators of Mattel, Barbie. And I think it's part of what Barbie the movie is satirizing, yeah. this idea yeah. that if you only have all women Supreme Court justices and a woman president, and if all the professionals are women, and if men are marginalized, that that's fantastic. I think that that's one idea that the movie does satirize. Yes, I agree. Um, (laughs) But the primary relationships in that world are between women, if they're even relationships. I guess you could also argue they're not relationships at all. Mm -hmm. But there's a very powerful relationship that develops between uh, Barbie in the movie and the woman who plays with Barbie. That's the, the mom played by America Ferreira and the mom's daughter. And there's also a very powerful relationship between Ruth Handler, Barbie's creator, mm-hmm. and Barbie. And when the movie is very self-consciously commenting on its own ending, oh, how, does the, how can the Barbie movie end? Oh, Barbie goes off with Ken. No, like that's not going to happen. Um, how does this movie end? Like the way the movie actually ends is that Barbie meets her maker. Barbie puts her hand in the hand of her creator and the creator shows her what being human is all about. And the film montage that you see when Barbie and Ruth Handler are connecting is you see a montage of ordinary moments, seeing the sunlight, seeing the wind, kids playing mothers and and children connecting a a series of ordinary moments. So I would say that primary relationship between Barbie and her handler, Ruth, like Ruth Handler, (laughs) her creator, right, Um, just echoes that world of the book of Ruth where the primary relationship is between two women. And and I think that there's something really... uh, radical and refreshing about that. I would like to pick up there and take another break for our sponsors and and pick up there when we come back, if that's all right with you, Jean. Sure. Okay. So jumping back in. Yeah. So jumping back into that, I think there's something I, I 
kind of wanted to wrestle with what you're what you're suggesting in and maybe even trying to pull the bar the movie into it and again i specifically did not read your article um i did that on purpose because i wanted to talk with you about your ideas live and i think i keep wondering if part of what gerwig is up to is is highlighting in lots of different ways the effect of patriarchal power or patriarchal assumptions right so you pointed out it's it's when she when the barbie when barbie in the real world comes into the room with the mattel ceo and board members right all men who are all ridiculously psychophonic it is in complete satire right it is mocking <laughs> right what it looks like to have a person in control with a board that's keeping him accountable not at all right not at all happening so that is almost like this kind of odd fantasy cartoonish thing happening right whereas the rest of the world is normal so you know is she playing with even at the level of women empowerment such as what this, these dolls are supposed to perhaps offer men are messing with it in a way that i'm not even sure see this is why i kept going i don't know what's happening here what <laughs> What is this doing to have her to have to have the movie mock or mock what's happening in the real world? I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure what she accomplishes there. But well, I well, one thing on that I would oh go ahead, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I I want to come back to the Ruth thing, but to the Ruth sure. Handler handler thing, but go ahead. One purpose, I think, of contrasting Barbie land with the real world is to demonstrate that the fact of having Barbies has not created any kind of a feminist utopia. I mean, yes, in the real world, right? Yes. It doesn't exist. But I meant when she goes into the Mattel boardroom. Yeah, that's 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 ridiculous. That scene is so utterly ridiculous that but the rest of the world is is like the world is. So Mattel is being portrayed in a very satirized way. That isn't how boards work, or is that really how boards work? Right. And this idea of having the Barbies in the real world has to be put to an end, and there's this control over it. So even what Ruth Handler intended is taken over. Yes. And is, is controlled by a patriarchal narrative, patriarchal well, the culture Concerns of capitalism. And needs? Right? Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the culture mm -hmm. of capitalism. There, there's that great scene when Barbie approaches. So there's the America Ferrera character, and then there's the America Ferrera character's daughter, whose mm -hmm. name I should know, but I'm blanking on the name of that character. But Barbie approaches her. And Barbie's always used to being received well. Everybody thinks she's pretty. Everybody mm -hmm. likes her. Everybody right. thinks she's fun. Right, right. And tween, you know, the, the tween heroine of the movie, like, doesn't... It's Sasha. Sasha's Thank her you. name. Yep. Yeah. Sasha says, Barbie's a professional bimbo. Like, <laughs> I, I have no interest in Barbie. Like, why would I like a professional bimbo? And Barbie's really shocked. And Sasha says, yeah, like you perpetrate, you, you perpetuate unrealistic physical ideals, 
You glorify rampant consumerism, and you're an example of sexualized capitalism. Mm-hmm. So I do think that that boardroom scene shows that capitalism commodifies even really good ideas. Like, probably mm. it was a really good yeah. idea, right, for Ruth Handler to invent this doll that girls didn't have to nurture mm-hmm. where their imaginative play could be about doing things in the world. Like, that's a mm-hmm. cool idea. Mm-hmm. Capitalism commodifies that immediately, appropriates that immediately, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. turns it into something, let's say, more sinister. Yeah. Okay. okay. Where... You know, you always have to be extraordinary. Astrophysicist Barbie and, um, you know, brain surgeon Barbie. Uh, You know, there's a lot of jokes Mm. in the movie like, Mm -hmm. how about depression Barbie? Here's panic attack Barbie. Right, right. What about, and the the big idea at the end is what about ordinary Barbie? Yeah. Can we have ordinary Barbie? Right. Like, how about being ordinary? How's that for an idea? Right, right. Yeah. I think I will, I think... I'm swinging back in my mind so we can, you know, maybe wrap this up here shortly. But I, you know, I'm, I think you and I are, we'll always, and it's good. It's actually good for our conversations. We'll always have a very different take on biblical texts. And I'm not sure if I need to get that out of my system or if I need to just keep holding on to what it is I'm doing with them that is very different from the way you are doing things. And I, I like that. I like what you do with biblical stories and texts and narratives and and I like that you find the good in them. <laughs> I do. Where I find things very troubling. And so I think that's actually kind of a, a moment that is exactly what happened here with our viewing of the, the movie Barbie and our reading of the story Ruth. I see women who are, yes, they are bond, they are working together, but it is utter desperation and you know, I see the using of Ruth and her body and her willingness to do that seems to come from her her love and devotion to Naomi. And Naomi uses that and and Ruth disappears when she produces a child, you know. So I I cannot I kinda hang on to those elements more than being able to celebrate the women's relationship part of it. So I like I like the way you find the positive. Yeah, and for me, it's a both and. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a both and. There are so many disturbing parts, obviously, (laughs) of the Book of Ruth. I mean, it's really disturbing. Yeah. And I don't deny that. Yeah. And in a textual landscape totally populated with other kinds of relationships, to find this relationship between two women is something interesting. It is refreshing. It is refreshing. Yeah. I got I I fully agree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate getting to chat with you about Barbie the movie and to Yeah, hear, it's fun, Jennifer. Yeah, hearing some of your thoughts about that. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for thinking of the idea and uh we'll be on the lookout for other topics for Wilder Olive. This was fun. This was fun. Little Wilder Olive, more casual conversation about literature, culture and the Bible. Yeah. Current events edition. Current events edition. All right, listeners, uh, thanks for coming along for the ride. Uh, Great to have you with us. We'll talk to you again soon. Catch you next time. Hey, this is Matt Byrne, editor and producer for the podcast. If you like game-changing conversations about literature, culture, and the Bible, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 
and tell some friends all about the show. You can find episode notes at wildolivebibleandculture.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Just search Wild Olive. Our music is composed by Nick Stubblefield. Audio produced by Clara Carrera and Matt Byrne. Want to ask a question? Email the podcast at connect at wildolivebibleandculture.org. Until our next wild conversation. We'll see you then.